Welcome to Tactically Acquired. Our goal is to document military-connected living history in a fun and easy environment. We will capture the stories of our active duty, guard, reservists, veterans, ROTC, and their families, sharing their stories, adventures, and journeys across the military life cycle. The podcast is for anyone interested in joining the military, has been part of the military, or wishes to learn more about military life. In addition, we want to bridge the growing military-civilian divide through education. This is unfiltered, meaning we'll go over the good, the bad, and yes, maybe even the ugly of being a military-connected individual. I'm your host, Rusty Martis, a retired Air Force Mustang and OEF veteran, and I run the Veterans Resource Station at North Kentucky University. My special guest today is an NKU alumni, a veteran, and who continues to serve all veterans, but we'll get into all that in just a bit. But first, welcome to the show, and thank you for taking time to get together and talk about your living history. Thank you for having me here. Appreciate it tremendously. Just to kick things off, please just uh, state your name and the branch of service that you were in. My name is Robin Higgins, and I served in the United States Army. There you go. And it's yep. Dr. Robin Higgins. Dr. Robin yeah. Higgins, and we, yes. We'll, we'll get into it in just a minute. But you are an NKU alum. Yes. Um, how did you end up choosing to come to NKU? Well, I'd moved back to the area after I retired, mm-hmm. and um, I really needed some things to fill up my time because I'm that person, typical, you know, just typical type A, I need to do something. And so one of the gentlemen that I was working with, he had just graduated from the doctorate program oh, wow. here. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I'd gone to um, two orientations, two years worth of orientations. And he found out I was going to orientations here at NKU for the um, doctor of education program. Mm-hmm. He said, look, just stop going to the orientations and sign up. It's something that you're obviously interested in. NKU offers the program and this, you know, degree mm-hmm. that you're interested in. So just stop attending orientation and just, you know, pull the trigger on it. Sign the dotted line. Sign huh? the dotted line. Yeah. So he actually formally nominated me. Awesome. And so I wrote the letter of intent and then did like a little bio and got called back for an interview. Cool. And so, you know, the interview was just really amazing. And I knew I really wanted to be here at NKU for this program. Awesome. Yes. I actually looked at different universities, and I wasn't interested in any other programs. But when I ran across this one, I knew it was the one for me. That's awesome. Well, I yes. appreciate you sharing that. And, and we'll go back and talk a little bit about that. Um, but before I get too far off topic... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> You had mentioned that you're retired. So are you retired from the military then? I am retired from the military. Retired, retired. Not on anything but the retired roles. Okay, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. So why did you end up choosing the Army in the first place? Um, I was in college. Okay. Broke, poor, (laughs) needed to eat. Right. And so um, they had an ROTC program. Mm -hmm. And so someone had convinced me, a recruiter, my my two closest cousins had gone into the to the army on the buddy system, and this was the first time that the three musketeers, meaning my two cousins and myself, that we were separated, and then they went on the buddy program. They came back from basic and talking about all their experiences and how hard it was, and I think this was the first time that they'd ever told me that they had done something that I probably couldn't do because I was. And I'm doing the air quotes now. Right. A girl. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. They ain't going to fly, right? You, they, <laughs> no. they told you you couldn't. Something they, they did that yeah. I wasn't included in. Right. And so um, the recruiter started talking to me. And the recruiter's like, well, you know, we can pay for your education. But his idea was for me to quit college, join the military, and then they'd pay for my education. Gotcha. But I'm like, I'm already in college. So how about if you pay for my education while I'm still in school? 
And so he told me about the ROTC program. Never in my life did I think that that would be something that I would find an affinity for. And it just appealed to me. Awesome. And it also paid me $100 a month stipend so I could eat. There you go. <laughs> that was that there school. you go. Yeah. So where were you going to school then? I was at time? Eastern Kentucky. Okay. Yep. Okay. Kentucky so, Colonel. Yep. Well, and so you went through, through their ROTC Army program mm-hmm. at Eastern. At Eastern. Yep. Now, so when did you actually join the ROTC program? Um, it was the end of my sophomore year, and I was going to be a junior. Okay. And... It was just a couple of weeks before the end of the semester of my sophomore year. Oh, wow. Okay. And I just walked over to the ROTC department, and they fell all over themselves. It's like, nobody just walks in (laughs) and says, I want to join your program. Right. So they said, okay, let's sit you down. We'll show you this neat video. They told me I was going to summer camp, doing air quotes again. Yeah. <laughs> and well, so all well, that. Was, that was going to be my next question. So did, did you go directly to basic training? I then? did. Okay. Yep, okay. I did between my sophomore and junior year Okay. that summer. Did you join the National Guard then as well? I didn't. Okay, nope, so it was strictly? I, strictly ROTC. Okay. And um, came back and I was a junior cadet. Gotcha. The basic training that you went through was the ROTC training mm-hmm. um, with you had no previous because traditionally what happens for ROTC is your freshman and sophomore year no. you kind of build up to be able to hand go into that that so you right. just went cold turkey and it's cold like oh, turkey, figure it out cold turkey and figuring out and you yeah. know I had um and you asked one of the questions earlier um, I had a typical private Benjamin moment because they told me I was going to summer camp. Uh-huh. So I packed all my little summer outfits. Right. <laughs> my okay. mom and I went shopping for what I thought I would need. Yeah. So I get to Fort Knox. Yeah. And we have a caravan going up. And I walk up to the drill sergeant where they told me to report in. I said, so um, I'm going to go to lunch now with my mom and all of my friends that came up. Right. And the drill sergeant went berserk on me. Oh, wow. So my mom was standing there. And she's like... I don't like how you're talking to my daughter. We're going home. <laughs> so the drill sergeant was like, wait, wait, ma'am, wait, ma'am. So he pulled my mom aside and he talked to my mom and she's got her tissue. <laughs> and I see her doing these and then she comes back to me. She's like, okay, baby, well, we'll see you later. <laughs> and she left me there. Oh, that's she awesome. left me there. Wow. So that's how my basic training started. And it went rapidly downhill <laughs> downhill from that point on wow yeah private so, benjamin moment private benjamin moment so that is i yeah. love that story but obviously you were successful you made it yes. through that basic training I came back to eastern kentucky mm-hmm. and finished our rotc program yes and yes. uh what happened at the end of that at the end of uh, my rotc program i was commissioned a second lieutenant in the army signal corps the signal okay. in the signal corps so i was a regular army commissioning which meant that i was on active duty the day of commissioning. Absolutely. And so I was a, um, a December graduate, so I got to go home for Christmas and then straight to um, my signal officer basic course at Fort Gordon, Georgia. Okay. Yep. And how was that experience for you? It was amazing. It was an amazing experience. Um, I had no affinity, of course, for signal core because I didn't know what that meant either. Right. <laughs> but Which is the next question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at, at the training, they told me, all about what that meant. It meant that anything that had a current or electricity was my responsibility. We did, um, we were responsible for telephone communications, um, local area networks, satellite communication, any type of comms 
or means to communicate was my responsibility. Okay. Well, and once you went through that training, where'd you end up going after uh, that? My first assignment was Germany. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. All right. I went to Germany. And I, I have to ask, how was that experience? Oh, that was wonderful. It was amazing. I learned to speak the language. I could get around. I lived on the on the economy, so mm -hmm. I didn't live on the compound, military compound. So my neighbors were German. My neighborhood was German. The shops were, that I needed to go buy, my groceries, restaurants, everything. That's awesome. Yeah, so, so cool. I, I really um, assimilated and integrated into the community there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, what part of Germany were you in? I was in Karlsruhe, Germany. It was um, south of Frankfurt. Okay. What base was that? It was... At the time, mm. it was um, Neurite Kasern. Okay. It doesn't exist anymore. Okay. A lot of those bases don't exist. They're they, gone. They don't. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And so after Germany, what was next? How long were you in Germany? I was in Germany for three years. Three years. Wow. Then I came back to Fort Gordon for the officer advanced course, okay. signal officer advanced course. And then after that, was at Fort Lewis, Washington. Oh, wow. Yep, with an infantry division out there. Talk to us a little bit about, because um, you had quite a few experiences. Cause mm -hmm. you, how many total years did you end up doing? Oh, 28 years, 7 months, 16 days, wow. 22 hours. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven, uh, 28 and a half years wow. on active duty. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of great experiences, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you kind of think through and pick out just a few of those experiences and share with us? I can. Um one of the lasting, most lasting experiences was my tour in Afghanistan, of course. Okay. My combat tour in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. um, I was stationed with the 25th Infantry Division out of Schofield Barracks in Hawaii. And we came on deployment orders. We never thought that would happen because our 25th Infantry Division had not deployed since Vietnam. Wow. At all. Wow. So we weren't prepared. Right. When, so, what what years was this that you deployed to Afghanistan? Um, 2004 to 2005. Okay, mm -hmm. so big gap there. Big gap. It yeah. was um, when Bagram Airfield was still um, immature. It was it was uh, a fledgling base. Mm -hmm. When we went there, we were the first unit to rotate into Afghanistan, knowing that we were going to be there for, our boss told us, 18 months. Wow. If we left earlier than 18 months, counted all joy, right? It was right. a blessing. Yeah. Um, we were there for like 13. Wow. It used to be, for previous units, it was only four to six months, and we were there for a year. So since it was at the beginning stages, were you there to set up the communication lines, the air We nets, made or? it more robust. Okay. There were um, um, primitive type, I mean, not mm -hmm. primitive, of course, because it's military and it's still pretty good, but we made it more robust gotcha. communications. Um, we hardened the facility, meaning that instead of, you know, after we slept in tents for a while, we put up what we called the bee huts. Mm -hmm. So we built little bee huts. We made um, the barriers more secure with HESCO barriers. Um, we just developed it a little bit more. And I think we left Bagram in better shape than we, than it was when we got there. And then we turned it over to 10th Mountain. And, you know, by the time we left, there was like a little Burger King. There was like um, a bazaar that you could go out and actually buy things and have the local nationals kind of come to the to the gate and sell you things. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I know I greatly appreciate because I was uh, went through Bagram in 2010 and 2011. Well, you're and, welcome. <laughs> and, and yes, and it was um, it was quite impressive. Um, mm -hmm. 
from the standpoint of it was pretty much like a stateside base, not the mm-hmm. necessarily the uh, facilities per se. All the facilities were there, but like you mentioned, there was bee huts and tents mm-hmm. that we still lived in. But there was a, a Hardin BX. Uh, wow. Yeah. You know, uh, there was uh, a gym. You had the perimeter road, right? The yeah. perimeter road was yeah. completed because when we were there, it was not completed. Oh, wow. And we were trying to get the container yard set up. Okay. And trying to get rid of some of the, de- the uh, what is it, depleted uranium that was on the backside of the compound, if you remember, kind of where the pond was yeah. and the burn pits and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, and Disney, if you, did you have, <laughs> which is basically the main drag right through Bob. Disney Drive. Disney Drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Disney Drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's very interesting. And so, um, what was kind of your experience being in Afghanistan in general? It was, um, the most awful, but the most rewarding, mm-hmm. I think. Um, we bonded. I have friends that I deployed with where we're still in constant contact. At least once a week or so, we talk to each other. Um, I got to be the Joint Logistics Command commander mm. in charge of all the logistics coming in and out. I was a major. And remind, remember, I was a Signal Corps major, but right. my boss at the time was like, I'm going to make you my deputy. He's like, you're not engaged enough. You're not busy enough. All the comms are in. We're good. You're going to be my deputy commander. And so um, I was like, okay. But then he became ill and he was redeployed. Mm. So I became the um, interim commander, the temporary commander of the joint logistics in Afghanistan. Wow. Um, It was... And Bagram being the central location where everything basically goes in and out of. Everything goes in and out of Bagram. And during that time frame, we had run, um, became black on fuel meaning that the only things that could fly were medevac helicopters. Mm. So we had a restriction on on um, containers with our supplies and with our food flying into the base wow, because we, we had to go and unfrustrate or recover our fuel containers from the port of Kasim. I don't know if you recall the ports where everything came in. Mm. We had to go get our fuel tanker. So we put together um, this massive convoy mm-hmm. with the infantry in the front and military police and then tank um, wreckers and things to pull our and, and remember this is 2004 this is still at the beginning of the at war at the beginning of the war where um, a lot of our jingle truck drivers the yeah. local nationals were being kidnapped and all of our um, things were all of our supplies were taken out of the containers and then the con- container doors were put back on and it made it look like they were full and everything was pushed to the front. So when you open your container, it looked like it was good, but then you go to pull things out and there were pallet loads of water and food missing. Oh, wow. So it was it was a scary time. But to know that we made Bagram Air Base better, we were interacting with the locals, trying to see what it is that we could do to help them. Because most of them were just like you and I, trying to live their life, mm-hmm. raise their kids, feed their families. And they were not the enemy. So not to get political or anything like that, but that was very rewarding to know right. that we left the area that we were in better than what we found it. I just got done reading a book, actually, by Brene Brown called Dare to Lead. And But one of the things that she talked about in there is everywhere you go, and I think this is true from a military standpoint, mm-hmm. um, she's a huge consultant, goes all travels all over the world. But one thing she says, what she had learned is that people are people are people. 
it doesn't really matter. People are people are people. They still yes. have the same things that mm-hmm. everybody kind of goes through, and they all raise families or whatever the case may be. And I think that's we learned that from a military perspective yes. because you were in Germany, mm-hmm. you were in Afghanistan, and what you found were people were people. People were people. Yeah, yeah. They and, just want to be able to live their lives and. Like I said, take care of their families, feed the kids, get an education, have the same freedoms that you and I are used to. Absolutely. And sometimes maybe take for granted that they don't have in like Afghanistan or I was stationed in Saudi Arabia and in Kuwait. And so it's different. Yeah, absolutely. Different. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, that was my next question actually for you was, were you overseas any other locations? So obviously you were in mm-hmm. Saudi. Were there any other locations? Uh, most of my career seemed like it was overseas. Right. So Germany, Korea, um, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia. Um, even though it's part of the United States, I was in Alaska on a hardship tour oh, for wow. a year there as well. Well, and Hawaii's so. over quote unquote, you know, Oconus is what we said in, yeah. in the military. Yeah. It's not inside the continental United States. Yeah. So that's classified as an overseas assignment as well. It is, yep. And yeah. I got to spend... Um, Gosh, three wonderful years there. One of the years we went to Afghanistan, then right. we came back and finished up my initial tour there. Wow. Mm-hmm. Talk a little about that experience from an overseas standpoint. I mean, like you said, because mm-hmm. you were in Germany, you were in Afghanistan, you were in Alaska on a hardship, you were in Korea, you're, mm-hmm. you were all over the place. Um, what was it like being in all these different locations? Um, it broadened my perspective. Okay. I think it gave me a different worldview. Mm-hmm. Definitely, because everywhere I went, I tried to learn the language and the culture. That's awesome. When I was in Korea, I met a lady named Myung-hee. Myung-hee took me everywhere, and so I didn't understand a lot that they were saying, but she took me everywhere, and so um, I got to get, I was immersed in the Mm -hmm. culture. When I was in Germany, like I said, I lived on the German economy, so all of my neighbors and everything was was German, and so I learned the culture and the language there as well. Saudi Arabia didn't get to go off the compound very much, um, but I did have the opportunity to meet this wonderful lady named Fatma, and I got to go to her apartment. Of course, there was a, a women's entrance and a men's entrance. And I always thought that the women in Saudi Arabia were so oppressed, and they were very submissive. But she relayed to me that she felt sorry for me. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, Why? Because she's like, oh, you have no husband. You have no man to take care of you. You must work for yourself, and you have to drive yourself places. She's like, I have my my husband and my father and my uncles. They all care for me and take care of me. So her perspective on what I thought were her oppressions, really, she thought I was the one that needed to be um, felt sorry for. Wow. That people should feel sorry for American women because we have to fend for ourselves. I've never, ever heard that before, so I yeah. appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. This, uh... She felt sorry for me because I had to take care of myself and fend for myself, and I had no man in my life to protect me. Wow. Okay. I'm like, I'm pretty capable of protecting You're okay. myself. <laughs> but she, she kept going. You know, we were sitting in her apartment with her kids, mm-hmm. and she was like, oh. So sad. <laughs> oh. Well, people are people are people, yeah. but there is a difference in each of the, every culture, and, yeah. uh, and and I think that's one of the benefits from military services to to experience that that wide yeah. variety of uh, the different cultures, but also yeah. the the way of living. So, because and true. and I'm I may be totally off 
on when I say this. In Afghanistan, it is a third world country. Mm -hmm. I mean, people literally live in cardboard huts if they have a place to live, mm -hmm. um, or they live in, you know, not to the quality of standards that we would think of from the United States perspective, where mm -hmm. in Germany, it's very similar to mm -hmm. the United States. And I would think Korea. I've never been to Korea, so. It's, I was in Yongsan. I was in Seoul. Korea okay. is very developed. Very developed. Very nation. developed. It was a very crowded city. If you go to downtown Seoul, you might as well be in downtown New York, as far as I was concerned. It was wow. very crowded, fast-paced. There's everything to do and everything to see in Seoul. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so mm -hmm. where else were you kind of stateside? I was at... Um, you were in Georgia. You were in Washington. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Georgia, Washington State. I was at Fort Knox, Kentucky. I was stationed in San Antonio, Texas. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. I was an inspector general, Department of the Army inspector general in Washington, D.C. Wow. So that was a fun job. That was a, well, fun, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very interesting and intriguing job, and it was in Washington, D.C., so I loved that, too. Wow. Yeah. So you were not only overseas, but you were quite a bit uh, places stateside as mm -hmm. well to get those different perspectives and everything. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. If you can only choose one stateside, what was your, what would you go back to? I would go back to D.C. D.C., why is I that? would go back to D.C. D.C. has, um, like, a vibe. Mm. D.C. has, like, a hum to it. I don't know. There's this energy when you're in D.C. that's something that I hadn't felt anyplace else. I'm a country girl from Falmouth, Kentucky, <laughs> and I found myself on an assignment in Washington, D.C. When I first got there, I was so scared. I mean, it was just like, what am I, what am I doing here? How am I going get, to get around? What rank were you at that time? I was, um, was I a major. Okay. No, I was a lieutenant colonel, so I've been around quite so you, a bit. So you've got some military experience going on. I had some on. military experience gotcha. going on, and I'd, yeah. I'd been in the military for quite some time. I'd been, you know, I'd PCS'd and, and gone to different duty assignments in different countries. But when I got to D.C., I just felt lost and overwhelmed. But luckily, I had some folks that were there that showed me how to use the metro system and how to— what bus to yep. get on instead of trying to drive in every day and then find parking because that's that's something all unto itself. Right. Um, so I loved going to the um, Smithsonian's, to the museums on a weekend. I love just exploring there. And it it's just like when you look at the Department of Treasury, it is the Department of Treasury for the entire United States. When you're getting off of um, one of the metro um, exits. Mm -hmm. When you get uh, come out of the underground, you're standing. There's the Capitol building and there's the mall. Either way you go, you're running into something historical. Right. It's just like I am in the capital of the United States, and it definitely has um, a thrill and an energy about it that I've not felt anyplace else. Wow, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And I, so I have to ask: Do you still have your Metro card? I have my Metro card, so anytime I go back, I just get on the Metro, yeah, and I still know how to read the yeah. map. Yeah. So I've never was stationed in D.C., but I had to um, was fortunate enough to go down uh, to a good friend of mine's uh, promotion ceremony. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been about two years ago now, I guess, or three years ago, and it was amazing because everybody always asks that. He's like, "Oh, you've been to D.C. You got your Metro card? Yeah. <laughs> Is yeah, that something that you just hold on to? You yeah. hold on to your Metro card? Yep. And I still have it's still loaded." From the last time I was there. So, I mean, it's just something you'll you'll need it to, to shuttle back and forth to the Pentagon, right. to Arlington, 
Um, our offices were in Crystal City when I was there because the part of the Pentagon that our offices were in, they were actually destroyed 9-11. Mm. So we didn't get to go into those set of offices to work out of. Now, since I've left there, all of the offices are back in the Pentagon and not in Crystal City any longer. Wow. So Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of a full circle since uh, you, you were in Afghanistan and then back to, to, to the to, Pentagon. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. What do, if you could go back, I guess is the way I should say it, if mm-hmm. you could go back to before you joined the service, mm-hmm. you're in your sophomore year, getting ready to join ROTC, do the summer camp, what advice would you give yourself today for that person? For that person, I would have told that person, it's like, do your homework. Mm-hmm. Know what you're getting into. Be aware of it. I would have also told that person to be a little bit more confident. I was really very, I don't know if you could tell or not, but I was shy, naive, and just <laughs> no confidence at all. See, that blows my mind because you're obviously no. a t- tremendously confident woman now no. and very successful and uh, you you merged yourself in Korea. You merged yourself in <laughs> Germany. Um, so that, that shocks me a little bit. But yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry. I never would have. Yeah. I never would have. Um, I just was, I, I lacked confidence. I was, like I said, shy. I was very naive. I kind of just tripped into ROTC um, on a dare, basically, because my cousins <laughs> did something that they left me out of. Right. Um, but I would say do your homework. Embrace it. Oh, my gosh. I wished I had just embraced it. I wished I had... Um, like I tell folks, I'm a destination person, and sometimes I don't really enjoy the journey of getting to that destination. I would tell anybody, kind of chart your course mm-hmm. and be intentional about it. And if something you know comes along and your plans go awry, embrace that as well, and just be open to it. I'm not that I'm as you see, I'm a person that I write down my to do list. I plan everything. If somebody comes and upsets that, I just go berserk sometimes. <laughs> No, just embrace that. I would have told my younger self to just relax. Take what you're doing seriously, but don't take yourself so seriously. Everything was so serious for me that I don't know if I really had that much fun as a younger self. I don't even know if I would have liked my younger (laughs) self. Come on now. If I went back and met Robin (laughs) when she was 22, 23, I probably would have said, ooh, this girl needs to chill. (laughs) So how... How much of your military career kind of set you up for the success you have now in your life? I think all of it. I think all of it. Um, I would have gotten out a long time ago if it wasn't something that I thought was um, helping me. It it gave me a sense of pride in what I was doing. Um, When people say, you know, there's no more noble profession and it's an honorable profession, I, I truly, truly live that and believe that. It kind of took who I was and kind of made me even, I think, better and enhanced me and gave me a purpose. Um, and it gave me the ability to sit here across right. from you and be able to talk and share. Because there's a time where I probably don't know if I would have been able to do that. Well, from my view, extremely successful but confident woman that uh, Thank you. deserves <laughs> and <laughs> uh, has accomplished tremendous amount and still can accomplish a lot as well. Thank you. What kind of advice would you give someone that might be thinking, you know, maybe I will join ROTC, maybe I won't, maybe I'll join the National Guard, maybe I won't, maybe I'll join the Air Force, maybe I'll join the Army, maybe I'll join the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. Would you have any advice for those folks that might be kind of on the fence right now? 
I would. I would tell them, first of all, do it. Okay. Do it. Serve your country. I mean, there's no greater honor than to serve your country um, because we have an impact on this country. Um, sometimes it's not a democracy for us while we're in, right. but we are shaping the democracy, right? And I truly believe that. So, but before you do join, like, do what I didn't do, do your homework. Yeah. Find the branch that best fits your temperament because, you know, there's the Marine Corps, which is different than the Army, which is different than the Navy, which is different than the Air Force, which is different than the Coast Guard. Right. Find that branch that best meets your needs and fits your temperament so that you will enjoy what you're doing and that it's not just having to get up and go do a job, but it is absolutely a lifestyle and it will shape you as much as you shape it. But it has to be the right fit. Right. Absolutely. It has to be. Now, talking about the end of the service time, the the veteran that might be out there that may hear this podcast, mm-hmm. um, any advice that you can give them that might set them up for the same successes that you have found in your life? Find your find your your people. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I love my friends. I love my family, but they don't understand. I can tell them about my military experience and what I did, but they don't understand. Right. Classic example, um, <laughs> my, my two nephews. I love my nephews. I love my nieces and mm-hmm. nephews. But we were sitting, and there was the Army commercial that came on where you see the— and I, it may have been the Marine Corps, but it was something where they're running towards the battle. You don't okay. run away from the fight, right? right? You run towards it. And they were in uniform, but my uniform was the camouflage one as well. So my nephew looked at me, and he says, Aunt Robbie, so— so you were in the army, and I'm like, yeah, babe. So you were a soldier, yes. You you went to combat, like I did, and they couldn't reconcile. Right. Looking at me, their aunt, and the soldiers that they see doing those things, and right. thinking that I actually did the thing or those things. Right. So there's that disconnect. Mm-hmm. So find your people who know who you don't have to define an acronym because if you use an acronym, they kind of have an idea what that acronym is. Right. Or when you say that something is a soup sandwich yeah. <laughs> or anything. So, you know, find your group, find yeah. your people, share your stories with them and people who can commiserate with you. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, I think that helps in so many different ways, but you know, the camaraderie aspect and being around oh, like-minded yeah. folks yeah. goes a long way. It does. Going on. Speaking of going a long way, yes. Um, you obviously have your doctorate now, mm-hmm. and you chose to come to NKU to get that. Yes. Talk just a little bit about what that entire experience was. Was that a three-year program for you? It or? was um, EDD in three. Okay. We actually got it in two and a half. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, and my cohort, and there are, um, are my cohort mates that we actually meet every Tuesday evening still to chart how we're going to take over the world with our doctorates, right? Yeah. Um, what do we want to do with our degrees and how do we get there? But that experience was, gosh, after having been in the military, I, I kind of felt like I was out of my element. But then when I got into the groove, I felt I found that speaking up and asking the questions, you know, other people had the same questions. They just weren't going to ask. So ask the question. Um, and, and we have a wonderful faculty here that they are really invested in you as a student and really invested in you graduating from this program 
it is a, an amazing program. And this is not a paid promotional for the <laughs> ADD. Good point, good but point. this is how I truly feel about the program because I felt like an imposter. Most of us did. Hmm. Felt like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? I am, I, I'm never going to get this. But it was important to finish the program. And I learned so much from all 16 of my other cohort mates. We all have different lived experiences. And when you share that, you can't help but to be a better person after you come through that. Oh, that's awesome. And mm-hmm. we talked a little bit uh, off air about your dissertation, but mm-hmm. do you mind sharing a little bit about what you found as part of your dissertation? Well, my dissertation was about, um, I was going to do homelessness and, and women veterans, but that has been done a lot. Mine mm-hmm. was, um, what influences veterans' self-identity in women veterans? And... Um, the scope was just to do a small sample group from Kentucky in the state of Kentucky. And I mm-hmm. wanted to, it was important for me to do it here in the Commonwealth. Absolutely. And so with the group of ladies that I interviewed individually, they, di- they didn't get to meet each other because I was going to do a focus group, but we couldn't, it was during the pandemic. I so gotcha. individually I interviewed them and, uh, the common theme, the one common theme is that these women do not feel that they are veterans. They don't identify as veterans. And I was like, well, why? Why? Mm-hmm. Well, some of it was because nobody looks at them and thinks that they are because the posters don't reflect them, a lot of the posters and commercials. And when we're standing out, for instance, when I stand out and I do um, a Forget-Me-Not Drive or, or a Golden Corral, I'm there, but my male counterparts, people will thank them for your service. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, oh. And I got the... Oh, that is so sweet of you to be here and support your veterans. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, well, kind of a veteran myself, exactly. but okay, thank you, right. you know. So the women that I interviewed, they don't feel like they haven't embraced that, and it's not something that is um, inherent to who they are. So it was something they did, an experience they had. It's overdone, and it's in the past, mm-hmm. and they don't identify with that anymore. Yeah, I, I th- I find that just so fascinating because, as I shared with you, my wife is retired military as mm-hmm. well, um, and it took her a long time to even talk about being a veteran and so on and so forth. But it, I go back to your nephews, and like you said, yeah. looking at you, and it's like, and it, it was hard mm-hmm. for them to get that connection. Yeah, and so yeah. I, I think we got a long ways to go, and mm-hmm. uh, to not only make sure that our women veterans know that they're extremely appreciated, that they mm-hmm. raised their hand, they signed the dotted line, yeah. they put that their name on that blank check that could include their life to serve this country. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what the answers are, but we need to start sharing your story and other people's stories to get the word out that, uh, yeah. you know, that they are extremely successful, uh, just like you are. And they have given a lot to this country for our freedoms. And you know, it, that is so true. And I, as you were talking, it's like we we went through the same training. I remember the confidence obstacle courses where getting from one ladder to the next was way over my head, so I'd have to jump from one rung to the next and hopefully catch it because if you don't, you're going to fall. Right. How many feet? Yeah. I remember when I first went to my, my first assignment, I was 81 pounds, and we had to ruck up because we're going on a ruck march. My ruck was 45 to 50 pounds. So I put it on, and you're sitting, I'm sitting on the ground, putting my rucksack on, and I couldn't get up. I felt like a turtle. I <laughs> so here comes my soldier's like, okay, ma'am, get up. And I stood up, 
and I'm kind of wobbly. I mean, it's no joke, but I, I did it because it was a requirement for me to be as physically fit as my male counterparts. Right. So I went through all that. I went through the air assaults. I went through the airborne. The same standard for the male men um, in those specialty courses were the same standards. Right. Nobody said, yep. oh, Higgins, you know, we're going to go ahead and let you do, you know, push-ups on your knees because you're a so-called girl. Right. No. Absolutely. The standards are the same. Absolutely. I could sit here and talk to you all day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I know we're a little bit uh, yes. beyond time. And I think that's really kind of a great way to end mm-hmm. it. But before we do go, is there any kind of final thoughts you may have? I think just, you know, my whole entire adult life was dedicated to military service. All of it. Um, so it would it would really take another lifetime to get through some of the the thoughts and the advice and experiences. But so if any any time anybody wants to share with me, or anybody needs to talk, or if anybody just wants to find another a veteran, another woman veteran that they want to commiserate with, or any of those things, I'm available to do that. I'm here. I know what it what it's like to kind of feel like you're out there on an island. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk. And I say, you know, when you've served your country, you make sure that you, you talk about your experiences, you share those experiences, and you, like I said before, you find your people. Absolutely. Yeah. I think storytelling is huge in so many ways. And one of the reasons we do this podcast is kind of to share those stories to document your living history, but also to help bridge that military and civilian divide. Because as you said, so many people... It, when they walked up to you in Golden Crow, wherever the case may be, and mm-hmm. I thank you for being there to serve veterans. You are the veteran. Mm-hmm. You gave 28-plus years dedicated service for our freedoms, and we thank you. We thank you for your service. We thank you for all that you've accomplished and done and for being a NORS and getting your degree here. Um, NORS up. NORS up. Uh, but uh, we'll put the, your information in the show notes with your permission so yeah. they can reach out and um, be together and, and yes. be that camaraderie um, that may be needed. Thank you so much, Rusty. I, I can't thank you enough for having me here today and appreciate you listening to me go on and on and on and listening to my story. Thank you. Thank you. 